This morning I have a little bit of a different style of message. We're going to be really going through a theology lesson today, scratching the surface of prayer. On the screen it says the FPA of prayer. And the reason why it's called the FPA is to help you possibly remember things. Because I find if I can put things into little boxes, then I'll remember it. So if you want to remember things like FBI or CIA, this is the FPA of prayer. The goal of this series we're working through with a praying life through this month is to help us to know God. What is it, God, that you're doing in the world? How you're working in us and through us? And how can we join you in that through our, our prayers? That's our goal is to know God. And this morning we're talking about praying with all access to God. Because prayer is all about access to God the Father. Two weeks ago when we began this series, we began with talking about how we come to God and our attitude when we come to God is like little children. And our attitude is we come to God with humility, we try to keep it simple, we come teachable so that we can come to God as little children. Last week we talked about ask, attitude and then ask. And we came with the challenge to ask God, not just for the small, seemingly mundane things, which are important. I mean, thank you, God, for the food. Please provide the food. But also, God, what are the big, only you could possibly do this prayers that we are praying to God? What are the ones that are going to move mountains in our life? And this week, we're talking about access. What gives you the right to talk to God, the creator of the universe? Our principle for today is this, and we're going to prove this principle through this, really it's a theological lesson that we're going to walk through today. Prayer is focused toward God the Father with the power of the Holy Spirit in the authority of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 18, it says this, For through Him, in the context of that passage, that's talking about Jesus Christ, through him, Jesus, we have both access in one spirit. If you notice that's capitalized, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. To the Father, that is God the Father. Through Jesus Christ, in the Spirit, we have access to God the Father. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background with a thing called doctrine. And oftentimes we think of doctrine, we think that's big and confusing and overwhelming. We can't really fully understand it. Doctrine is simply the conclusions that are come to as a result of biblical study. And what theologians do is they take all the Bible verses throughout the scriptures from the beginning of the end that talk about who God is. And that's called theology. If you want to learn a bit of Greek, the Greek word for God is theo. And theology is the study of God. And when I was in Bible college, we took an entire semester to scratch the surface of God, particularly as you know, a 19-year-old at the time when I was in college, thinking I could understand God because I took a class. And they took all the Bible verses together about God, and then from that, they come to the study of theology. Then they come to a conclusion, which is the doctrine of what we believe about God. The same thing with the Holy Spirit. It's called pneuma. And the pneuma is a Greek word that simply means breath. 
and it's this, the word that's used for spirit. And the pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? How he works in different time periods. How is he working? Put them all together, and that's we come to a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The same thing with Christology. Christo is the Greek word for Messiah, and that's how we come to the word Christology. And G, that's the study, of course, of Jesus Christ. That one's probably the easiest one to guess out of all of them. And the same thing. Who is Jesus? Because we made some incredible statements during our uh, worship time when we sang things that are absolutely remarkable. Is it just simply because somebody said, that's a good idea. I want to worship a God that says that, so we're just going to make it up. And what they do is they come back to what the Bible teaches. And when the Bible says it, then we can base it upon a doctrine and then we can move forward. So it's not an opinion. It's not even in a church's opinion. It's what the Bible teaches. Because when we do that, it's not just our clever ideas. And we have to be very careful not to impose our preconceived ideas upon what the Scripture says. We want to go back and say, what does the Bible teach? We want to be commended, much like the church that was in Berea. In the book of Acts, chapter number 17, this church in Berea, which is in, is in modern-day Greece, the northern part of Greece, this church was being commended because they didn't just hear the truth and go, okay, I believe it, because there's lots of different people out there that claim truth. What did this church do? It says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So just because I say something, I, I very much, it, in fact, as a pastor, it terrifies me to stand before people and say something that would be theologically incorrect. But just because I say something doesn't mean it's correct, except when I say something at home to my children. But I want you to go home and say, what does the Bible say? Let's go back and study this out. Let's study this out for ourselves so that what we hear is not just something that I think is clever. It's what I actually believe. And that's what we build upon a doctrine. And one of these doctrines is the doctrine of the Trinity. Nowhere in the Bible is the word Trinity used. It's a word that means tri, as in three, unity. That is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are working together in unity. Now, I can explain the Trinity to you theologically, because I've read the books and we can give you the definitions. Do I fully comprehend with my huge human pea brain the Trinity and how that works? Absolutely not, because it's outside of our realm of thinking how one God can be three co-equal gods working together in unity with different forms and different, fu different positive functions. I'm going to walk through the Trinity really quickly because the reason why this is important is because what we're going to talk about later with the FPA of prayer is this gives us a foundation to work upon. As otherwise, I'm just giving you facts and the facts go, well, where, what box do I put these into? First of all, we see with the Trinity, we see the Trinity is eternal God. All three members of the Trinity are eternal God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 28, and what we used to do in theology class is we would go through these bit by bit, and we would have all these different verses for the sake of time and the fact that you don't have an entire semester or an entire lifetime this morning. We're just going to give one or two verses as we go through these. First of all, we see God is eternal. 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Jesus also claimed to be eternal. In John chapter 8, verse 58, it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he made that definitive statement before the religious leaders. And you know what they did? They picked up stones in order to throw the stones at Jesus. Of course, Jesus was not stoned to death. But they they picked up stones to stone Jesus because they knew that he was claiming to be God. We also see not just the eternal God. We see the Trinity as the creator God. All three members of the Trinity were actively involved in the creation of the universe. Genesis chapter 1. This one's a pretty easy one to guess where I was going to go with this one. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it goes on and says this, And the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. So when people ask you, who created the world? Absolutely, God created the universe. But also the Holy Spirit was actively involved. And then we go back to the book of John, chapter number 1. And John, chapter number 1, makes some incredible statements from the very beginning of the book. The purpose of the Gospel of John is to prove that Jesus is God. And it starts off with some absolutely incredible statements from the very beginning. So it makes some statements and then the rest of the book is proving these statements to be true. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. Notice on the screen it's capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through Him, that is Jesus Christ, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's an incredible statement. And if you imagine reading the book of John for the very first time and saying, this man is claiming to be God, the first thought you would have is, prove it. And that's why the rest of the book is written. The Trinity is the creator God. All three members are actively involved in the creation. We also see he's the saving God. All three are active in our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 1 Timothy 1 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What does it say? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In the middle of that, the end of verse number 13, it says that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we are forgiven by God. We are saved through the blood of Jesus and other passages talk about the the sacrifice of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit seals our salvation. So all three members of the Trinity are actively involved in our salvation. Also, all three members of the Trinity are actively involved in our prayer life. All three of them. But let's see with this FPA of prayer what it actually looks like. 
So I want to give you that foundation, that doctrinal foundation of the Trinity. And now we can see it actively in our prayer life. First of all, the F of the FPA is the word focus. The focus of prayer that we find throughout the scripture is always directed toward the Father. Every time we see prayer in the, in the Bible, it's directed toward the Father. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, For through Him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. But you know what? It's so easy to become distracted. If you watched the Olympics a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard the story of the Ukrainian shooter Shirley Kurish. And he is an incredible shooter. He was a silver medalist in the, at the Rio Olympics. And he came to the Tokyo Olympics. And he, the, he describes it this way. He was lining up to shoot. And I'm pointing my fake gun at you. And he's lining up to shoot the 50 meter target. And, he, and he's lining up. He said, I became distracted because a button on my jacket was loose. And as I became distracted, I found myself I was shooting at the wrong target. And he was ever so slightly off, but he ended up shooting the wrong target and ended up actually getting out of that round because he was focused. He was looking forward. I don't know if he got a bullseye on the wrong guy's target or not, but he was shooting the wrong target. And he, took, he actually had a pretty good attitude about it. He, says, he said it this way, I'm not happy, but who shoots at someone else's target? Only people like me. And so he had a pretty good attitude about it, even though he made the news and now he's infamous. It's so easy to become distracted in our prayer life. We forget that we are talking and we're focused ourselves upon the creator of the universe. We flippantly talk, and I believe that God wants us to be open. He wants us to be, to be free in our conversation. But we forget the focus is upon the Creator God. And when we actually consider that, we, we come in all before Him. In the early days of creation, Genesis chapter number 3, we find that God actually came to earth and talked with people. During the cool of the evening, He would talk with Adam and Eve. And then the fall of mankind came. And as a result of that, they were separated from God. But God said, you know, I'm separated from you. I'm no longer going to be able to walk physically with you in the cool of the evening and talk face to face because of your sin. You can't come before me. But he still opened the door of prayer. And the very next chapter, chapter three, we see sin and the separation. The very next chapter, it talks about the various people that were born from Adam and Eve. And the end of the chapter, it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So from the very beginning of time, after, right after the fall, we have had the ability to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. We see Jesus' own example to join God in his work. Jesus said as a 12-year-old boy in Luke chapter number 2, he, he told his parents, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That, that translation there, if you actually take it literally, he says, I must be in my Father. And he was saying there is everything he's doing, I want to be part of. We see Jesus' own example in his, in his model prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, where he begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have Jesus' own example. We also see the purpose of focusing upon God in our prayer is that we get to glorify God. 
John 17, verses 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The focus of our prayer is upon God the Father. He doesn't say, get all your things together and then come before me. He says, I am not bringing you with all your vast experience and everything that you know, and then you come to me. He says, come to me in your weakness, and I will grow you and develop you. My, two of my children, the, the older two, have recently been employed in their first jobs. We'll see how long it lasts. And they're recently employed in their first jobs. And as they're employed in their first jobs, they were not employed because of their vast experience and knowledge. They were employed because their employers saw a potential in them to train them and develop them and to put them out into the work. And someday you want to move beyond that initial training and train beyond to something greater. In a similar way with our focus upon God, our glorifying God, we may focus upon the small things and say, God, this is amazing. Thank you very much. But he just says, I have so much more for you. I want to continue to grow you and develop you. John 17, Jesus is praying a prayer. He's with his disciples at this time. He's right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested, right before he goes eventually to the cross. And you imagine the emotion of this time. Jesus knows exactly what's going to take place. And he takes time to pray to God. And he says this, verses 1 and verse 4. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and that the Son may glorify you. Verse 4, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So therefore, what we find here is that prayer in the Bible, we always find it focused upon God the Father. The F is focus. The P is power. The power we find of our prayer is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 says, we access in one spirit to the Father. Power is only good if it's connected. My family recently, in July, joined the minivan group. We purchased a minivan, and now they're cool. Previous to that, so in June they weren't cool, but in July they became cool. It's an okay car, and it's, it's a minivan, and it keeps the children separated far enough apart to the, where they all get along, and our, ha- our, ha- our family is happier as a result. I bought the car in the early July, right as the school holidays began, and I bought it in Perth, and I drove it down, and like the day after I bought it, we took a trip down towards Margaret River and Canal Rocks in the area south of here, which I absolutely love. And we drove through there, and we drove into the car park of one of the happiest places in the southwest, the Margaret River Chocolate Factory. As we pulled in there, and we all, we all well, we didn't stuff our faces, we just... 
ate our fill of the free chocolate, and we, we, you buy the token little, like the smallest and cheapest things that makes the, well, you know, the total mooch. And, and we, when we walk out of there, the sugar hadn't fully kicked in with the children yet, and we got in the car, and this is a brand new car. I've owned it for a couple of days, and it goes, nothing when I went to turn the key. Nothing at all. No lights, anything. And of course, the kids in the back, what's wrong, Dad? And the sugar starts kicking in now, thinking to myself, what is wrong? I bought this car and now I'm stuck. I don't have RAC or towing or anything right here. I don't have any tools. And I thought to myself, hmm. And I started doing a process of elimination, opened up the, the bonnet of the car. I looked at the bonnet a number of times and it's all nice and clean because it had been recently detailed and everything looked in place. And I looked at the battery and it looked perfect. And then I flipped over this little plastic thing that makes it all look pretty. And underneath the battery cable was totally loose. So with my incredibly strong index finger and thumb, I tightened it as tight as I could, and I went back to the car, and it goes, vroom, and it starts back up again. The point is, not that my fingers are strong. The point is, it looked really good. It, to, to, the, to the eye, everything was in order. Everything was in place. It should work fine, except it wasn't connected to the power. In a similar way, we can pray incredibly eloquent speech. And everyone goes, that sounds and looks so good. But unless we're connected to the power, we actually have no effect at all. Our prayers to God have little effect because actually not to God, they're for ourselves. So we must pray through and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to pray impressive prayers. I want to pray powerful prayers. I don't want to have enough strength and power myself. I want to be in and through the Holy Spirit who can truly give us the power. He gives us guidance, which is the truth. In, in the book of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, God is talking and teaching his disciples that he's going to leave them and he's going to send them, uh, God's going to send them the Holy Spirit. In, in chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He gives us through the Holy Spirit. We have guidance toward truth to know and have discernment to what is true. Not just our feelings, because our feelings go up and down. We want to be guided by the truth of the Holy Spirit. We also want to base our beliefs and our hopes and desires not just on our opinion, but on the truth. The second thing we see, there's a belief and hope. In Romans 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There's a huge difference between crossing your fingers and hoping something and truly believing something to be true. And when the Holy Spirit gives us that impression to know what is true and he guides us into that truth, we can have true, genuine hope when our circumstances around us are dire. He also is our teacher. The Bible uses the word a helper and a comforter. 
John 14 verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Bring to your remembrance that wonderful prompting of God. That's what we need to experience all the time through the Holy Spirit. This has actually been quite an incredible week as I was writing out this point, I was typing out this point and I stopped for a moment. And I thought, let me think about the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes God will prompt me to pray for various situations and various people in seemingly random times. And maybe he does a similar thing for you when you prompt and you go, I need to pray for that person. And you spend some time in prayer. Or you have a prompting and go, I need to go call that person and go help that person. Well, this week, this entire week, I have been prompted to pray for a particular family, particularly an individual in our church. And I've been praying for this, this man and, you know, throughout the week. And as I was writing this point, I felt, I need to send him a text message. Just let him know that I'm praying for him. So I did that. I sent him a text message. And a few moments later, I received a message back saying, thank you so much. I really needed that prayer. I've been in a hospital all week. And I go, I had no idea. First of all, if you're in a hospital, let me know. The other thing is, I had no idea. So I said, absolutely, and I'll come visit him later. But you know what's incredible about that? Is I was prompted all week to pray for him. In various seemingly random times. A similar way, when you're prompted, don't go, hmm, that's weird, and move on. Let God actually speak through you and say, I'm going to take this and he's going to be my teacher. He's going to be my helper. I'm going to respond in, in prayer when he prompts us. When we are weak, he helps us as a helper, To as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes or goes between for us with groanings too deep for words. We also see, as we read earlier in, in John 16, that the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own authority. He is there pointing us through Jesus Christ to God. And he brings things to our minds. So we see in the statement, the, the prayer in the Bible we see is focused toward God. The F is a focus toward God, the Father, with the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority is in the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's silly, the FPA of prayer, but I'm going to challenge you. When you go home and at lunchtime, you'll remember it. And as you begin praying through uh, and praying, I want you to think about who you're praying toward and, and seek to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And say, I don't want to pray my eloquence. I want you to work in me and through me. And what authority do you have to come before God, the creator of the universe? It's only in Jesus' name. So oftentimes you hear us pray and we'll pray God or you know, dear Heavenly Father. We'll pray a prayer and we pray that prayer. The anticipation is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of it, we often say things like in your name or in Jesus name. Amen. And the word amen is a word that simply means so let it be. But we say in Jesus name. And you think, well, that's just tradition. And I believe it is a, a, a positive tradition. Because what it reminds us is who we're praying to in the power of the Holy Spirit, but also what gives us the right to come before God. 
I want to be constantly reminded it's not through my righteousness, it's not through my good works, it's only through Jesus Christ. So in Jesus' name, amen. You ever said as a child, I remember saying this, stop in the name of the law. You ever play that as a kid? And you, and you would say, stop in the name of the law. Well, in a similar way, you pray in the name of Jesus. That verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, For through him, Jesus, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are saying to the Father, I'm coming to you not in my own name, not in my own merit, not in my own worth, I'm coming because Christ loved me, because Christ died for me, because Christ rose from the dead for me, and Christ is now interceding for me. The Bible says that, yes, Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us. But it also says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us, which gives us all access to God. We have all access in Jesus' name. One of my favorite passages of the Bible is John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he makes a definitive statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. That passage continues on from verse 6 to verses 13 and 14. And it says, whatever you ask in my name, in Jesus' name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We have all access to God in Jesus' name. Not by our own authority, not by our own righteousness and good works. It's totally in and through Jesus' name. We also, at this very moment, Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. And that intercession that he's doing is something we find in Romans chapter number 8, verse 34, which says, Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Earlier I mentioned John chapter 17, the prayer that Jesus prayed before his arrest and before he went to the cross. In that prayer, we see some prayers that he's prayed specifically for his disciples, but I believe it's correct that we can take them for us, us being prayed for also. What would Jesus Christ pray for you if he was to intercede on our behalf? So therefore, I believe we should be praying the similar prayers. If this is what Jesus Christ is praying for us, I believe this is what we should be praying for ourselves also. We see in John 17, we are to be kept from the evil one. Verse 15 says, keep them from the evil one, Jesus prays. Jesus continues on and he prays, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. That is, to be sanctified in the truth is to be set apart with the truth. Jesus Christ prayed that we will be sanctified in the truth. He also prays in verse 21 that they may be all one. Jesus Christ prays for our unity together. He also prays in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. He's saying, I want they, these people to be in heaven with me. He wants you to be saved. And then also in verse 24, it goes on and says, to see my glory that you have given me. 
He wants us to experience the glory of God. When we pray, we don't pray in our own authority. We pray in the name of Jesus. And God in His graciousness doesn't ask for eloquence. He doesn't ask for us to say a certain ritual in, in our prayer life and say, I've got to say the magic words in order for the, the prayers to be heard. We don't have to say in Jesus' name, but I think it's a good way to remind ourselves. So when I personally pray, most of the time, and I pray publicly or pray formally, I'll pray to God. I'll say, you know, dear Heavenly Father or dear Lord. And then we'll pray the prayer. And then at the end of it, I'll say, in Jesus' name, amen. But you know what? When I pray silently, like earlier when I was praying, when I, when I heard some news about some people in our church that are, that are not well, I didn't pray, God, and make it formal. I just prayed, God, you got to do something here. That was the end of the prayer. There wasn't an eloquence behind it. It was a simple prayer. So my challenge to us as we go out is we'll remember the F. What is the F? The P and the A. You remember the FPA prayer, and then that will change the way that you think so that when you're praying, you realize who you're talking to is the God, the creator of the universe. We're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength and through his promptings. And also we're praying in the authority of Jesus' name. And imagine what God can do through our prayers and the transformation it can make in our lives, in our families' lives, in our communities' lives as we seek to move forward. We have some exciting things taking place in the next several months of our church that are really going to stretch us in the best way possible. And if we don't begin with prayer, we're doing things in our own strength, in our own ability, and that's not where we want to be.